listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, Today, I wanted to jump right into this teaching because... um, I've been praying for some people and uh, I really, it, it, it gets me so angry at the enemy. It gets me so angry at the enemy. Uh, and it never fails that a lot of times during the holidays, people get attacked. And one of our, one of our partners that I've been praying for this week has really been heavily attacked and I, I'm continuing to pray for her. And, um, but it's, it's like it never fails. The enemy always tries to use one of the most wonderful times of the year to attack God's children. And this one is severe. And so I've been standing in faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, um, praying in, in obviously in English, but I want to talk about today on the broadcast, a very important subject. And that is this, we're talking about the cure for every mental attack. And, uh, the reason that I, that I titled it that way is because the enemy will without question work hard at attacking your mind. Why does he do that? Of course he attacks your physical body. We know sickness and disease uh, is prevalent even in, uh, in and among Christians, but he doesn't just attack your physical body. Um, it's not, it's very hard for the devil to uh, attack your spirit. And the reason I say that is because uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, the Bible says, that when you become a Christian, that you become united with Christ, right? You are one with Christ. And so your spirit man is glorified, the Bible says. So your spirit man is glorified and united with Jesus. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Um, and beyond that, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this in the sixth chapter, that your inner man, your spirit man is renewed day by day. So literally every morning when you wake up, your spirit man has been renewed. He's been renewed by God. And so it's very hard for the enemy to take you out in your spirit man, because your spirit man is united with Christ. He's renewed every day. Um, the strength of your spirit in glory, being glorified is unparalleled. I mean, you're, you're very strong spiritually. So what does the devil have to do in order to take out a believer. He has no authority over the believer. So he has to deceive the believer, right? So how does the devil work hard to deceive the believer? He uses what's been called by many, the battlefield of the mind, right? The battlefield of the mind. That's how the enemy works. And, um, it can even, it even bleeds over into uh, phys- physical ailments, sickness, disease, problems that way. And so we want to deal with that today is how do you overcome the mental attacks of the enemy against your life? Good morning, Jeff. And so we're going to give you five things today that'll help you from the word that will literally help you uh, to overcome every attack against your mind. And I want you to take notes. I want you to put some of these verses in the, um, 
in the comments. If you're listening on the podcast, please take notes and get these into your spirit. These are five action points, if you will. Five things, five calls to action that will allow you to walk in victory over uh, mental attacks. And so we're going to get into that. Um, I want to take you first to, uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to give you number one, and we need to keep this in the forefront every single day. This is what what I'm showing you here. These are daily disciplines. And I promise you, I promise you that these work because literally I have, um, I've seen these work, not just in myself, in so many Christians, anybody that I've been around, especially ministers that are impacting the world, Christians that are impacting their world. um, These have all been present. Every one of these has been present. And so I want to show you how to employ each one of these in your own life so that you don't have to fall prey to the attacks of the enemy. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we're starting off. And I'm going to give you number one from there. But let's read starting in, um, let's read starting in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Listen to what the word says here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so from here, I want to, um, I want to uh, put these two things together. Uh, the first step for every believer, the first step for every believer is, as this verse says here, thanksgiving and praise thanksgiving and praise. So number one, the first active step toward walking in victory over every mental attack is constant thanksgiving and praise. Constant thanksgiving and praise. Put it in the comments. And so one of the things we need to talk about is how vital, you know, people act like these things are so uh, minimal or minimalistic in the, in the Christian life. They're not. They are pillars. In fact, I've told you this before, the apostle Paul listed uh, praise and thanksgiving uh, because as he's talking about these things, not just to the Thessalonians, but the Philippians as well, he understood what it does. It brings us into joy. And as I've told you, he wrote the Romans in the 14th chapter and said what? He said, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or drink, but it's three things, righteousness, peace and joy. So Paul understood that those are three pillars in the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, joy. And so we know the quickest way to get into the joy of the Holy ghost is to thank and praise God quickest way. He inhabits the praises of his people, Israel, and in his presence is fullness of joy. So when he inhabits our praises, we're in his presence. 
And if we're in his presence, we're walking in fullness of joy. I can't hammer this home hard enough that we need to be actively praising and thanking God verbally, not just in your thoughts. I mean, you got to speak it out. You got to praise and thank God. You know, one of the, one of the things that happens to people that, that really it hinders them from joy. Obviously we could talk about comparison. I'm not going to get into that route, but have you ever focused back on yourself and begin to just look at all of the things that you have, not looking at the things you don't have, not looking at the things you wish you had, all of the things you actually have that God has blessed you with, that God has put into your life. Sometimes I sit back and I'm amazed. I'm amazed at all God's done. And I'll tell you, when you start to look at, you know, I used to think it was dumb when people said, um, you know, he woke me up this morning, put breath in my lungs. I'm thinking to myself, well, everybody's got breath in their lungs. But let me just tell you, the older I get, and the more that I see people struggle, the more I realize how much of a blessing it truly is. If you wake up and you're walking around in health and you're walking around in strength and you're walking around with family that loves you and you're walking around with, you know, you, you begin to look at the things and some people think they're simple things. They're not. They're blessings. They're extreme blessings. And um, you, you start to look at all the things God's done for you that you, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't understand because I, I've not, I had not seen the condition of the majority of the world. But when people say he put a roof over my head, yes, he's blessed you. You know, I have plenty to eat. Yes. When you realize that the majority, think about this. When you look at the majority of the world lives on less than $1 a day. Think about that for a minute. The majority of the world lives on less than $1 a day, meaning when you go to Starbucks on the way to work and buy your latte, you just spent five days worth of provision for the majority of the world. And we don't even realize many times how blessed we truly are. You know, and we are. And, and we need to locate those things. We need to put our finger on those things and begin to verbally thank God for what he's done in our lives. Verbally thank God for what's going on. You know, I always like to break it down into past, present, future. Thank him for what he's already done in your life. I, I love to do that. Look back. The Bible says in Psalm 150, praise him for his mighty acts of greatness. We're commanded to do that. Praise him for his mighty acts of greatness, past. Then I'll thank him for what's presently going on. What's he doing right now in my life? What's happening at the current moment that God is doing. I'll thank him for that. And then you know what else I'll do? I'll start to thank him for the future, for what he's going to do. I'll praise him for what he's going to do in the future. And then I'll praise him for his greatness. I'll praise him for his power. I'll thank him for his provision. I'll go on and on. You could spend a majority of your prayer time in thanksgiving and praise. That is how big and how great God is. You could keep going without ever stopping and talking about his goodness, his greatness, all that even we read that he's done. And so this has to be, this has to be at the forefront of every believer's life. If you're not someone who is thankful and praiseful, then it opens the door for the enemy to come in and begin to attack you mentally. And then you fall prey to those attacks, but people that will continually praise and thank God. You know, I, I think people, when they say, well, I do that, 
You know, I do that. Do you really though? Do you really? Have you ever been caught up? What do I mean by that? You know, people think it's insane to get that um, demonstrative by yourself. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like I've oftentimes danced, danced by myself in a hotel room, danced in my own bedroom, danced in my living room. And we're teaching our kids to praise God like that. And people think, well, you look like a nut job if you're just by yourself, you know, dancing around. No, no, you're demonstratively praising and thanking God for his goodness. I mean, if you can get that excited, you know, I I was watching somebody put up um, highlight clips from the the Champions League uh, from soccer and watching people in their homes by themselves, you know, they, they wanted them to send videos in. So they had like GoPros and stuff in their home set up. And, um, I was watching a, a, a montage of clips that people put up when their team scored in the champions league. Many of the people were by themselves in their living room. They were by themselves in their bedroom and they jumped off the couch and jumped up and started dancing and singing the song of their team. Uh, and, and, you know, people don't think anything about that. But have we gotten demonstrative in our praise and in our thanksgiving, in our worship to where, you know, are you, um, you know, are you uh, embarrassed to act that way? Are you embarrassed, you know, to give God praise all by yourself? And Tiffany, you can block Mike. Are you embarrassed? to give God glory and praise when you're by yourself? Or are you willing to stand up and begin to magnify the Lord demonstratively? I'm telling you, when you start to do that, things start to change. Things begin to change. And I mean that. I have felt the change. And I know we don't go by how we feel. We go by what the Bible says, but it's nice to feel it <laughs> every once in a while. And I have felt as I begin to praise God like that and worship God like that, things immediately, I can feel the encouragement of the Holy Ghost come upon me. And so uh, you got to do it. You have to be a person who, and I like what somebody put it in the comments, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually, continually be in my mouth. Hallelujah. Family Tub said, I've been getting complaints for praising God like that in my place. First complaint was at 3 p.m. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's his praise will continually be in my mouth. You know, if you become a person who is actively and constantly praising God and thanking God, it invites the Holy Spirit in and encouragement and joy and overwhelming peace begin to come upon you. And I'll tell you, I've done it sometimes until I felt that thing overtake me. I mean it. I mean, there's, you think you just, because I'm a preacher, there's times that there's not times the devil attacks me. Of course there are. Of course there are times when the devil attacks me and tries to come against my mind. But I'll tell you, I've done it until I feel the joy and peace of the Holy ghost come on me. I've praised and thanked God until I feel the the breakthrough, until I feel the change. I sense it in my spirit. And you can do that. You can praise yourself into a breakthrough. 
You can worship yourself and thank God and bring Thanksgiving right to the place until you have that breakthrough of peace and joy in your uh, life and in your mind. And so uh, Paul wrote it here to the Thessalonians. Uh, he said, rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Let me give you a tip. If you wait for the perfect situation in order to give thanks, you're going to be waiting a long time. I love what the, uh, Paul wrote here to the Thessalonians. He said, give thanks in all circumstances. That means when things aren't going the way you think they should. And when things are going the way you think they should, doesn't matter the circumstance, doesn't matter the circumstance in all circumstances, give thanks. Mary Beth said, I learned the power of praise months ago after reading your book, unhang your harp and, and begin to actively praise God. That's exactly it. And that's what that book was about. The power of what praise opens up. It unlocks the door to every blessing God set aside for you. And so what I want to encourage you with is take time out of your day. And I've been encouraging people on this one. When you set aside your prayer time, a, a majority, at least half, at least half of your prayer time should consist of thanksgiving and praise. I mean that. You say that much, half of my prayer, at least. You know, that's why if you, if you read what I wrote in um, uh, the Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting for this last year's fast, one of the things that I teach in there, and you've heard me teach on it, is uh, how to have, as we pray, a Thanksgiving and prayer sandwich. It's easy for people to remember. That's why I said that. That's why I titled it that way. Even though it sounds a little goofy or corny to some, what I'm talking about so that you can properly understand it is the meat that's in the center and the two pieces of bread on the sandwich. And the two pieces of bread in, in our prayer in our prayer life, uh, I've listed those as thanksgiving and praise. So before I begin asking God for things, my first piece of bread on the sandwich is I'll take 15, if I'm going for an hour, right? If I've, I've set aside an hour of prayer, 15 minutes will be me just thanking God and praising God uh, for what he's already done. And then I'll get into my requests. But at the end, I'll take another 15 minutes. I'll take another 15 minutes and thank and praise him that what I've prayed is going to come to pass and for what he's about to do in the future. So we call it a Thanksgiving and praise sandwich. But what we're talking about is we're talking about making sure that your requests are bookended by Thanksgiving and praise. And that takes up like half of your time in praising and thanking God. And it should because see, I believe this is my personal belief from reading scripture that if we would uh, with discipline consistently praise and thank God, there would be some things we wouldn't even have to pray about. We wouldn't even have to pray about because as we were praising God, as we were thanking God, we would provoke his presence and breakthrough would come just through our praise. Breakthrough would come just through our worship and our thanksgiving. We provoke God's presence when we praise him and when we thank him. I'm reminded of the story of the 10 lepers uh, that were in the New Testament that approached Jesus, risking their lives to ask him if he would heal them. And he was, of course, willing to heal them. And he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were healed of leprosy, a flesh-eating disease. 
But one of them, a Samaritan, returned to give thanks to Jesus. And when he returned to give thanks to Jesus, Jesus said, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? But he didn't mess with that. All he said was, thank you. And he began to thank and praise Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, go your way for your faith has done what? Made you whole. I've always wondered this. And it was interesting because as I was studying and writing the 21 day fast field guide that's available for you guys for the upcoming fast. As I was writing it, I was doing some research and I found some scholarly commentary on this passage with the 10 lepers. And one of the things that they wrote was apparently according to uh, the text and the words of Jesus, this man, this Samaritan received a different kind of blessing than the other nine who didn't thank God received. And one of the things I always think to myself, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but could it be possible that because this man returned to thank Jesus for what he had done, that when Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Could it be possible that whatever body parts or skin or organs that he lost from the leprosy were restored to him? Uh, all the scholars agree that I've read that he got a different kind or level of blessing from Christ because of his thanksgiving and praise. Could it be possible that Jesus restored to him all that was lost because of his thanksgiving and praise? When we thank and praise God, it provokes his power. It provokes his anointing. And then it begins to move in our, on our behalf. And so I want to encourage you, thanksgiving and praise have to be number one have to be number one in your life. Number two, close to it. And I, and I mean this because these are foundational, but close to it is your spiritual heavenly identity. I've done quite a bit of teaching on this, I would say, but I, I have to bring it in here because many people that I've encountered that are always losing battles, uh, are in a, in a place where their, their mental state is always being uh, messed with. I've seen so many people that don't know who they are in Christ. One of the problems with that is that we have a lot of churches that don't teach on spiritual identity. They don't teach on uh, who you are in Jesus Christ. And if you are never taught your identity, then by default, you will just believe either whatever the world calls you, whatever, however you've been known in the natural realm, or, or you'll believe the lies of the enemy. And, when, and that's the worst thing that could happen. And so you have to, you have to get to know your spiritual heavenly identity. What does that mean? Well, when you read through the epistles, the letters of the apostles in the New Testament, you'll begin to see how they form the identity of the new believer. There had never been new creations in Christ before. Do you ever think of that? As these letters are being written to the church, there's my friend, Pastor Joe Spence, I love you. As these letters were being written to the church, there had never been new creation reality before. We had thousands and thousands of years of Judaism, but Christianity was just new on the scene. There had never been, there was no teaching 
uh, that, that had been around for hundreds of years on being a new creation in Christ Jesus. This was a new thing. So the apostles began to define to the believers what it was to be in Christ, in him, in whom. When you read through the epistles and you see those phrases, in Christ, in him, in whom, by him, by whom, when you see those, it's defining who you are in Christ Jesus. Well, for example, if I were to ask you, and I put this in the book, you'll see it as you, during one of the days. Uh, if I were to ask you, have you ever seen someone who through their entire life, they've been called stupid or dumb or everything you do is wrong. You're, you're a screw up. Every, I can't, have you ever seen somebody that that's been what's been told to them for their whole life? You know what, what happens? You grow up believing I'm stupid. I'm a screw up. Nothing I ever do is right. I'm, I, I'm always messing up. I'm not competent. I can't do it. I'm, and that, that's a whole reality that surrounds that person's thought process because they've believed what someone else has said about who they are. And then you go on and add on top of that, the lies of the enemy. And then you got somebody that's just totally uh, attacked in their mind. And that's what they believe about themselves. But then if we were to ask ourselves a question, truthfully, as a new creature, am I stupid? Am I, do, do I have a subpar intelligence? Well, you can believe what people have said about you your whole life, or you can believe what the Bible says about you. And what the Bible says about you is this, that you have the Holy Spirit who, number one, will lead you and guide you into all truth. You have no need that anyone should teach you anything for you have the teacher. He is teaching you. Go on further. Paul says that you have the mind of Christ. So explain to me how somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the one that guides you into all truth, and somebody has been given the mind of Christ, how could I be dumb? How could I be stupid? How could I be a screw up? If I am filled with the spirit of wisdom and that my mind has been renewed and now I have the mind of Christ. No, I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. I don't have subpar intelligence. I am supernaturally intelligent. I am supernaturally intelligent. I want you to put it in the comments right now. I am supernaturally intelligent and you are. And so all these stupid things that people have said about you for your whole life, or they've tried to make you believe when you see that the, the word of God contradicts those things, then you start to realize I've got to believe this over what people have said about me. I got to believe this, what the word of God says. That's right. Uh, Glenn Karam said, you can't live in your carnal mind. That's exactly right. Scroll back up there for, I want to see, see Glenn's full comment. I love brother Glenn. He said, let this mind be in you. That was in Christ. That's right. That's right. And then the Bible tells you how to think. Let this mind be in you. And so Paul did a lot of writing on, um, and we're not going to get into that right now. I'll get into it in just a second. But Paul did a lot of writing on what you should think about. 
But I want you to think, think of this, that you've got an identity that's defined by who you are in covenant with. I'm in covenant with Jesus. I'm in covenant with God in heaven who sits on the throne, who has recreated me into a different kind of person. I was dead in trespasses and in sins. I was in that place, but now he has raised me up and seated me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And now I'm a different person than I was before. I'm not dumb. I'm supernaturally intelligent. I have his ability, his efficiency, his might or power. See, I am what he is as he is. So are we in this world. And so you start to go through, I think it would be a great exercise for those of you that are watching. I think it would be a great exercise as we go through the fast. And by the way, just a heads up, as we go through, we're going to be reading through the entire new Testament in 21 days. And I give you the, uh, the plan within the book and everything, but we're going to be reading through the whole new Testament in 21 days. And, um, I think it would be a great exercise that as you do that, once you get out of the gospels and acts, you start to look into the epistles, write down all of the things that the Bible says about you defining that heavenly identity, your new creation identity. And you realize, I like what Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians two 20. So you start to realize that you're different now and it's important to define it because the definition or the parameters of your identity will determine what you think about yourself. Once you realize them, see, I've, I've made this point for years. If you think you're a nobody, you'll let people talk to you like you're a nobody. If you think you're stupid, you'll let people talk to you like you're stupid and treat you like you're stupid. You'll let people condescend to you. But once your identity shifts and you realize you're not stupid, you're not a nobody, you're not a nothing, you are supernaturally intelligent. You have ability. You are a child of God. It changes everything. And then you don't allow yourself to be treated that way because you realize who you truly are. Let me say this. I'll say it again. Brother T.L. Osborne, one of the greatest missionary evangelists that ever lived, wrote in one of his books that one of the first things he saw happen in third world nations when people would get saved, and it even amazed him, it blew his mind, that one of the first things that he would see happen to people who would get saved in these third world nations, he'd say the next night they'd come back and their dignity would be restored. They no longer were animals scratching and trying to survive and live. Uh, and, and, you know, it blew his mind to see the first thing that happened is that he would see their dignity restored. Their dignity restored. Why? Because God puts value back on your life, value back into your being and your existence. And he would see it everywhere he went. The same happens here with you is that when you realize who you are in Christ, 
It restores your dignity and you understand I'm not a fool. I'm not stupid. I'm not, you know, I am who God created me to be. I'm intelligent supernaturally. I have ability that's supernatural. You go through the whole thing and you realize God has created supernatural beings that are just like him. Hallelujah. Just like him. And so your identity is vital. You have to know, you have to know. Number three, let's get into this. Number three, because this is something that's uh, also extremely important is you have to learn how to control your thoughts, how to control your thoughts. So put that in. I have to know how to control my thoughts. Amen, Brother Glenn. Number three, control your soul. And I reference this. Paul didn't just teach it to the Thessalonians. Paul taught it to the Galatians, the Colossians, the Ephesians. Everyone he wrote letters to, he was dropping this wisdom. So I want you to go with me to Philippians chapter four. And we're going to put it in number three. You've got to control your thoughts or control your soul. Some of people are already ahead of me. Some people have written... Uh, from the other passage, take every thought into captivity. That's exactly right. Make it obey Jesus Christ. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean the devil won't try to throw thoughts at you. Of course he will. Of course he'll try to put thoughts in your mind and put put, uh, meditations in your mind. Of course. But that doesn't mean you have to dwell on them. I used to have people tell me that all the time when I was a youth pastor. And people come to me, well, Pastor Ted, I can't, I can't control the thoughts that pop into my head. No, you can't. Not all the time. But it doesn't mean that just because a thought pops in your head that you have to dwell on it and meditate on it. You control those things. You take every thought into captivity and make it obey Jesus Christ. So Paul wrote a lot about what you should be thinking about and what you shouldn't be thinking about. And so... I want to, um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sh- through and show you how amazing it is that these mirror each other, but let's go to Philippians 4. We'll start with verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. Listen to this, and I'm going to read all the way down through, um, through verse 8. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Listen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, same thing we read in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians. He's encouraging the believers to do what? Always rejoice, always rejoice, always rejoice, always rejoice. It's a key. Verse five, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in it, see there it is, anxiety attacks, anxiety attacks, anxiety attacks. And, 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 People would literally be offended in 2021, 2022, if you told them, don't be anxious. 
Well, you don't understand how mental conditions work. You don't understand what an anxiety attack is. You don't understand chronic depression. I've had all those things said to me many times. So here's the thing. Am I going to just uh, listen to what this world system says and how this world system says that the mind functions? Or am I going to believe what the word of God says and understand that you can function and obey the commands of scripture? Because this is a command of scripture, by the way. So why would God give us commands through uh, Paul's spirit-inspired writings? Why would God give us that command if we were not inherently able to obey that command? That's unjust. You can't, as God, you can't command me to do something that I don't have the ability to do. So if I'm reading this and Paul writes to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be, how can that be a command if I don't have control over anxiety? That's not, that's not just God. That's not just. How can I rejoice and be in joy if I don't have control over my depression? That's what, how can you, well, you have to either believe the world system or you have to believe what the Bible says, right? You have to either believe the world system or you have to believe what the Bible says. I don't have control over my depression. I don't have control over my anxiety. Well, then how can we be commanded to rejoice always and not be anxious about anything? The truth is, if you are a Christian who has the Holy Spirit at your disposal, you have the power and the ability to walk free from depression and anxiety by your own action. It's not by, it's not self-help. It's by the help of the Holy Spirit, but you have to take, these are calls to action. Rejoice. I don't feel like rejoicing. Rejoice anyway. Give thanks. I don't feel like thanks. Give thanks anyway. And then look at this. Don't be anxious, but I feel like it doesn't matter. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now look at this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, hear me now, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul goes from that into telling us how we should think. Look, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Okay, stop there. Say, so, well, what's true is they've diagnosed me with chronic depression. No, what's true is God's word. God's word is what's true. Whatsoever is true, you can block Jeffrey. Whatever is true, see, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So there it is. There it is. Paul gives you the parameters of what you should think about. Gives you the parameters. That's right. Jessica said a diagnosis is not a definition. That's exactly right. Just because there's an attack does not mean that's your identity. Stop, hear me, this is so important you get this. Stop identifying with your diagnosis. Stop taking possession 
of your diagnosis. I can't stand when Christians who are filled with the Holy Ghost and who know better do that. Right? Well, you know, my depression, stop calling it your depression. It's not yours. Stop saying that. Well, you know, my depression's been flaring. Stop saying that. You know, my, my anxiety attacks, they're not yours. Stop saying that. Stop taking uh, possession of your diagnosis. Stop taking possession of what the world says that you have and do what the Bible says. Whatsoever things are true or honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Well, you know, my cancer, you know, my diabetes, you know, my arthritis. Stop taking. That's right, Liz. It belongs to Jesus. My, my father had to do that at one point. The enemy attacked his body and a big tumor came on his neck. He said it stunk. Big tumor. And he's supposed to be the preacher. And he got so ticked off that the devil was attacking him. And he said people would come up to him and they'd ask him, what's that thing on your neck, Brother Ted? And he, you know what he'd respond? That's Jesus's tumor. What? That's Jesus's tumor. What do you mean by that? The Bible says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. It's not mine, it's his. And he said that and thank God and praise God until that thing was gone and never came back again. No surgery, no medication, gone and never came back again. That's Jesus's tumor. Whose? It's Jesus's. Because I cast it on him. It's not mine, it's his. Casting all of your care. Is that a care? Is anxiety your ca- a care? Is depression a care? Yes. Cast it on him. He cares for you. He cares for you. You're not, and let me, me, I've said this before, but let me, let me encourage you again with this. Watch now. You're not called to carry burdens. You are called to carry blessings. You're not created to carry burdens. You're created to carry blessings. If you want to write it down, write it down. If you want to put it in the comments, put it in the comments. You're not created to carry burdens. You're created to carry blessings. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Hallelujah. You're not created to carry burdens. You're created to carry blessings. Thank you, Jesus. That's who you are. That's who you are. And so we take control. If it's not true, I don't meditate on it. You know, I have all kinds of people. I mean, YouTube, I get tons of hate on YouTube. People call me all kinds of names, all kinds of things. They tell me I'm a demon. They tell me I'm a false prophet. They tell me I'm stupid. They tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. They tell me I shouldn't be in the ministry. I had somebody recently, um, trying to think where this was, told me that I shouldn't even, I shouldn't be in the ministry. I shouldn't be a minister. I had a lady at a border crossing that was a border agent of a nation Tell me, if it was up to me, I'd, you'd never stand in any platform to speak to anybody. Well, it's not up to you. And some little midget woman, that was like four foot six, with a complex that was a lesbian, that was just mad because I was full of the Holy Ghost. Try to tell, if it was up to me, you wouldn't be standing on any platform in any way. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. So put your mini pants on and go back to the border gate. And there's people that don't like you. But I'm not going to believe what they say. I believe what the word of God says. There's people call you names your whole life. They'll tell you you're unqualified. They'll tell you you shouldn't do it. And let me just give you a tip. The further you pull away from the pack, 
the more of that stuff you'll get and attract because it makes people uncomfortable when you begin to do what God's called you to do and they're not doing it. So when you pull away from the pack and begin to do what you're called to do and live how you're called to live, it makes everyone else uncomfortable because it, whether you know it or not, it shines a spotlight on them not doing anything that they're supposed to be doing. So what do they do instead? They start throwing hate on you. So don't listen to it. Has nothing to do with their opinion. It's about what God said. Joseph said, never give it a second thought unless it's your wife. <laughs> That's right. Brother Glenn said, people are exposed by your confidence. No question. No question about it. If you live confidently, if you make decisions, if you execute, if you step out and do what God's calling you to do, what it does is it highlights either the procrastination, the laziness, the whatever else of people not doing what they're called to do. And then people get mad at you. <laughs> Stop identifying with what culture says about you. Stop identifying with what doctors say about you. It's not yours. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm saying it's not yours. My cancer, my arthritis, my diabetes, my anxiety, my depression. It's not yours. Stop claiming it. It's Christ's. He took it. He took it. And he took it to the cross. And Constance is getting new bones in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So you control the thoughts. You control, you don't allow anything to just come in and take control of your mind. And you control it. You bring it under subjection. You take every thought captive, make it obey Jesus Christ. And this word of God will wash your mind. He'll wash, it'll wash your mind. It's a cleansing agent. If you've read Ephesians chapter five, he cleansed the church, washed with the water of the word, Ephesians five, washed by the water of the of the word. Hallelujah. Washed with the water of the word. And then of course we know the Bible teaches us that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Hallelujah. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me just break this down. What does it mean to be conformed? It means to take the shape of. It means to take the shape of. You know, if you, if you were to lay a snake on a, a set of stairs going down the stairs, that snake's body could conform to the shape of those stairs as it was going down the stairs. It could. It's conforming to the shape, right? If you've ever had Play-Doh and you've stuck it into one of those Play-Doh toys that does a cast or a cutout of that shape, what is the doing? The Play-Doh is conforming to that shape. So the shape, get this now, the shape of that mold or of the stairs, or of the environment, defines the material that's being laid on it. And what Paul's teaching the Romans is, the spirit of this world already has a shape. It already has a cast. It already has a border. And you are not to be putty to fit into the shape of the world system. Because if you did, then you would look 
in the same mold, you would look like everybody else that's in this world. Didn't, and you have a redeemer and you have a savior and a healer and a comforter and a guide and a provider, but none of those things would matter because you've been conformed to the shape of the world. So what would that mean? It means that you would have the same anxiety that everybody else has. It's the number one uh, prescribed medication, anxiety and depression medication. Number one, beyond heart medication. So if you conform, that means that you'll look like the rest of society, just like them, that you've taken your life, slapped it into their mold, and now you look like everybody else that doesn't have a savior, doesn't have a comforter, doesn't have a healer, doesn't have a guide, doesn't have a provider. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't slap yourself into their mold. Do not conform to this world. Hmm. But be transformed. Glory to God. Glory to God. Be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed. By what? By the renewal of your mind. And that's right, Glenn. Glenn put in Romans 8, 29. What are we conformed to? To the image of Christ. We should look like him, not like this world. And Gloria, stay on. Robert, stay on. We're going to be praying for people at the end of this broadcast, and I'm going to be asking God to touch you where you are. But number one, you've got to have thanksgiving and praise. Number two, identity has to be right. Number three, control those thoughts. Number four, this will help you. Number four, ask in prayer. Ask in prayer. Answered prayer is one of the avenues to overcoming depression and anxiety, attacks against the mind. Answered prayer. Answered prayer. Hallelujah. I love this. This is one of my favorite. I really got into this heavily when I first started um, studying for the very first book I ever wrote, Praise, Laugh, Repeat. And um, as I started, as I was studying this, it blew my mind to realize that it's not just about being happy. It's that God wants his children as a tool of effectiveness to walk in constant joy. I want to say, I want to say that again so you understand what I'm saying. It's not just about being happy. It's about that as a tool for effectiveness and to make an impact, you have to walk in joy because what I, what I began to realize was joy is the fuel that pushes you forward into production. And that's why I wrote on the back of that book, you could have the nicest car in the world, a sports car. You could have a Bentley. You could have a Rolls Royce if you want. Wouldn't matter if there's no gas in the tank, your car's not leaving the driveway. Doesn't matter how great the engine is out of the factory. Doesn't matter all the bells and whistles that are about. You could have the top package. It's not moving because you don't have fuel in the tank. And you have to realize you've been created in the image and the likeness of God. You've been renewed. Your spirit is united with his spirit as he is. So are we in this world. So we are the top model. We are the best package model. We are the Denali, if you will. But it doesn't matter. If there's no fuel in your tank, 
You're going to stay where you've always been. And joy is the fuel that pushes God's people forward. Joy is the fuel. And I want you to see this because here's what Jesus said regarding this uh, avenue of prayer. Listen to this now. I'll start with John 16, verses 23 and 24. John 16, 23 and 24. In that day, and we're in the day he's talking about right now. In that day, you will ask nothing of me, but truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So here's a promise from Jesus that God will answer your prayers. Don't ever wonder again, is God going to answer my prayers? I hope God answers my prayers. No, Jesus said, whatever you ask, whatever, whatever. Now, obviously it has to line up with the will of his word. You can't pray in contradiction to the written word of God. But whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. Look at verse 24 now, because this is where I'm going. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. So ask and you will receive, look at this, that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. Ask and you will receive. And what's the result of you receiving? And your joy will be full. Hallelujah. That's your joy. So when, when God answers your prayer, that is one of the avenues into walking in abundant joy. As Eric put in the comments there, the New Living Translation, and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Hey, Aniko, we love you. So so look at that. One of the avenues, this is number four of what we're talking about today. One of the avenues to walking free from those mental attacks is prayer and having those prayers answered. What is it? It's an avenue into abundant joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prayer. That's why we're going to take time in fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. And one of the, if you've studied the benefits of fasting and prayer, is that one of the things fasting does as a supplement to prayer, according to what God spoke to his children in Isaiah 58, he said, then you will call and I'll answer you. You know, it's not just, hey, Hope, it's not just that God won't answer our prayers if we just pray. It's just, you ever think of this? Some people are so carnal and are so flesh driven, God could be speaking and they don't even hear it. They don't even hear it. That they've drowned out the voice of the spirit by living in a carnal lifestyle or carnal, uh, making carnal choices, letting their flesh take over. So fasting breaks the flesh down, weakens it and lets that spirit come alive. And when I say come alive, what I mean is to be heard, to be sensitive and the flesh quiets down and you can hear the spirit. And that's what many people need because this is not often talked about. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, it's time for a new generation to hear about fasting and prayer. We've had previous generations talk about it. It's been a practice of the believer since the early church and before in the old Testament, God's people, new Testament, Jesus did it. The apostles did it. The everyone. The the church history shows us they did it two days a week, every week. So a new generation needs to hear and understand this principle of fasting and prayer. And that's what all we're doing is we're, we're pushing that, 
uh, scriptural truth and getting people into a place where they can receive from God. So ask and receive. Why? That your joy may be full. Hallelujah. And then let me give you this final, this final one before we pray. Number five, we're talking again today about how you can, uh, or, or the cure for, how you can overcome every mental attack. The cure for every mental attack. The cure for every mental attack. And what are we talking about? We're talking about, number one, thanksgiving and praise. Number two, knowing who you are in Christ. Number three, taking control of your thoughts. Number four, asking in Jesus' name and letting your prayers be answered so that your joy may be full. Now, let me give you number five, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Number five is this. Take time daily to pray in the Holy Ghost. This is something that I feel like people do not take advantage of enough. And in 2022, I feel like we're going to have to take advantage of this more than we ever have. Praying in your heavenly language, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Paul's teaching about this subject to the Corinthian church. I'll give you just a little bit of background so you understand why he's saying some of the things he's saying. This is a very immature church. They've got sin rampant in the church. However, at the same time, they have an abundance of spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, he said that they have over, they're overflowing in the utterance gifts. He tells them that in the first chapter. Overflowing in the utterance gifts. They're overflowing the gifts of the spirit. So much so that their church services are beginning to um, become disorderly because everybody's jumping up and trying to give a word in tongues or a prophecy. And all it's doing is bringing confusion in the church service. So he gives them some um, instructions to do things decently and in order. And here in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said, Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one, now now look, though he's encouraging prophecy in a public assembly, he's also explaining what tongues can do. Look, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Go to verse four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So Paul makes it clear here that when you pray in the spirit, when you pray using your heavenly language, it is an avenue that allows you to encourage or edify, as one translation renders that, to edify yourself, to encourage yourself in the Lord. So, and I don't know, put a hand up in the comments if you've ever uh, had this happen or seen this happen, that as you pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Spirit, you instantly feel that encouragement, that edification of the Lord in your own life. And of course, I've felt that many times, many times. I don't even have to do it for very long. As I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, I feel the encouragement of the Lord. I feel the edification of the Lord 
in my own spirit. And that's what Paul's teaching. One who prays in tongues edifies or encourages himself. And there's no question about it, that that's one of the things praying in the Holy Ghost does for you. It encourages your spirit. It, it edifies or builds you up. And Paul said, that's exactly right. But in a church setting, we're trying to build everybody up. So I would rather that you prophesy in a church setting in the known language of the hearer so that everybody can have that same spiritual edification. But he said, when you do it now, he's not saying don't speak in tongues. That's not what he's saying. Because if you keep reading in verse four, in chapter 14, what does he say? He said, I'll do both. I will pray with my spirit tongues and in my known language, I will sing with my spirit and with my known language. I'll do both. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul had a, a disciplined life where he said, I'll speak in tongues so much that even though your church has a, an abundance of uh, uh, utterance gifts at work, you don't even come close to me. I speak in tongues way more than all of you do. So he's not condemning speaking in tongues. He's showing you how to use it pr properly in a public setting. Look at this now. That's not all. Verse 17 teaches, get this now. Verse 17 of the same chapter, he said, when you speak in tongues, let me give you verse 16 too. He said, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider uh, say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Now look at verse 17. For you might be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. Huh. Then he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So did you see that? Paul is saying that speaking in tongues is a form of, of thanksgiving. Please put that in the comments before we pray. Speaking in tongues is a form of thanksgiving. Speaking in tongues is a form of thanksgiving. That's what Paul just taught. So at, why do you think it's one of the things we uh, suggest you do at the beginning of your prayers, at the end of your prayers? Because we always come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and so what are we doing? We're thanking and praising God from the outset and we're finishing by thanking and praising God. Well, tongues, according to the apostle Paul is a form of thanksgiving. And so I start my prayers speaking in tongues and thanking God in English. Speaking in tongues is a form of thanksgiving. Paul just taught it to the, to the Corinthian church. Then I'll finish here. If we're in the, the book of Jude and brother Glenn was ahead of me here, brother in the spirit. Jude verse 20, but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy spirit, praying in the Holy spirit. So when you pray in the Holy spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, it doesn't just encourage you according to this passage here in Jude, you actually build up your most holy faith. It doesn't give you more faith. It just stirs up the faith that you already have. I always um, compare this to uh, an athlete that's getting ready to perform. They don't just show up at the Olympics or show up in the NFL or show up in the NBA. They don't just show up in their street clothes and run out on the court and start playing without stretching and warming up. Right? <clears throat> 
they always stretch first. They always warm up first. So when you pray in the spirit, I liken that to stirring up your faith, stretching it out, getting it ready for action, stretching it out, getting it ready for action. And so what do we do? We are not only encouraging ourselves, we're preparing our faith for use. Hallelujah. We're not just encouraging ourselves. We're not just thanking God. We're preparing our faith for use. And that's huge because we're people of action. We are people of action. I'll say this to you because it was a mind-blowing revelation to me when I was reading the book Contagious by Dr. Jonah Berger and they had done 10 years of research on people's emotions and what emotions caused people to take actions. And he, these were not Christians. These were just, uh, you know, Dr. Berger is a professor at the uh, Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. And he and his colleagues did 10 years of research on this. They said, what would cause anybody, what emotions would cause anybody to take an action? And do you know what they found? That all of the different emotions that you can feel cause a person to move forward and take action except for one. And that emotion was depression. They said all these other emotions, happiness, you know, romanticism, uh, anger, all these other ones, um, whatever, discomfort, uh, being unhappy with the state of your uh, culture or government, whatever. All these other emotions cause people to move forward and take action. He said depression is the only one causes people to move backward and isolate. Blew his mind, blew my mind. Because it's what the Bible's been teaching that I've been talking about for all these years. And that is that joy is the fuel that pushes you forward, but depression takes you backward. The writer of Proverbs wrote, Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones, sucks the life force out of you. No question about that. And so as we see, I mean, obviously God's word has been true <laughs> since the beginning of time. People are just now catching up to some parts of it, but understand something without this joy, without this peace, without uh, these gifts God's given, it attacks you're attacked, not just in your mind, but notice what's really being attacked. Your ability to make an impact in your generation, your ability to overcome and do what God's called you to do. It's not just about being sad. It's not just about being uh, depressed. It's not just about being anxious. It's about think of the greater picture. Okay. If you were the devil, imagine how you'd operate. If you knew I can't stop them spiritually power has been stripped from me. I now, Jesus now has all power and he's given it to them. And now they've got the ability to do anything God called them to do. So what can I do as the devil? Well, I've got to then make them believe that they don't have the power. I've got to make them believe that they're, in, they're not, they're insufficient. I've got to make them believe that they're nobodies. I've got to make them believe that they don't have any potential. And so what am I going to do? Use lies and deception and I'll twist the word of God and I'll use the culture and I'll use their background and I'll use everything that I can to do what? Put us in a place. Instead of having a merry heart, we've got a broken spirit, right? If I was the devil, then I'm not, no matter what the YouTube comments say, 
I would do everything I can to deceive people into believing they don't have what's necessary to overcome in life. That I would attack them in the battlefield of the mind. It's what he did to Eve. It's what he did, you know, it's what he's always done throughout history. Try to convince people that what God said is not true so that you'll believe the alternative. And that's where people fail. But understand, it's the greater picture. It's not just because he wants your happiness. It's not just because he wants your peace, although he does. He truly wants to stop you from successfully accomplishing what God has called you to do. And let me say this before I pray for you. You are anointed. You are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You have the necessary tools and weapons and the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. You can't shoot the devil with a gun, although you wish you could. You can't stab him with a knife. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But why would we be focused on pulling down strongholds and, and using our spiritual weapons if we're so focused on the fact that we're depressed or anxious? See, that's the, that's the inward turn that the devil wants so that we're not focused on what we're called to do. Put it in the comments before we pray today. I am anointed. I am anointed. I want to pray for every person that's watching. I'm believing God that your, the days of you being attacked and losing battles mentally is over. The days of you being attacked and destroyed and your potential destroyed and your future destroyed and your purpose destroyed by the enemy, those days are over. The last battle you lost will be the last one you ever lose in Jesus' name. And let me pray for you. Father, I'm praying now for every man and woman that's watching this or listening to this. <clears throat> and I ask you today in Jesus' name, touch them right where they are. I take authority right now over depression, <clears throat> anxiety, suicidal thoughts that are so prevalent, especially during the holiday season. I take authority over those in Jesus' name. I command them to loose their grip and let God's people go in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, I pray that you would release to them overwhelming joy, overwhelming peace. And Lord, as they do the things we've been talking about today from your word, we thank you that we will overflow in joy. We will overflow in peace. We will overflow in strength in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I pray for those that are watching that had prayer requests. They need healing in their body. Lord, we loose healing virtue to them right where they are. I command every sickness, every pain, everything that's uh, disease that's tried to come against them to be destroyed by the power of your spirit. Let their bodies quickly be healed by the power of the Holy Ghost and take all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray for Sandra today, Lord, in Jesus' name. We join our faith as the victory tribe. And I take authority over the attack of the devil against her mind that's tried to attack our sister. And I rebuke it in the mighty name of Jesus. Loose her and let her go by the power of the Holy Ghost in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that she would come out of that place and be back with her family for the holidays. Lord, restore the family. Touch her daughters, touch her son. Restore that family, Lord. Let every bit of previous hurt be healed in Jesus' name. Bring full restoration to them. Bless them abundantly in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, we give you praise.
In Jesus' wonderful name. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We call it done. You begin to thank him. Where you're at, I know. Yes, Faith. Uh, Faith, uh, continue to keep me updated because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be calling her as well. So keep me updated if you hear anything else. Um, I'm so excited for what God has planned for this upcoming year. I'm so expectant. I can't even begin to tell you. It's our year of divine possession. You begin to thank God where you are that it's already done. Robert, begin to thank God it's done. Constance, begin to thank God it's done. Those of you who believe in for a miracle, thank God it's done. And begin to praise him like it's already done. That's what we're talking about. Again, we're getting ready to begin a corporate fast together, 21 days of fasting and prayer. Maybe you've never done an extended fast. This is a perfect one to get started on. We're starting on January the 2nd, and we're going to continue on until January the 22nd. That's 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, we're not eating anything. We're drinking liquids only, and we're pressing in, and we're praying, and we're studying God's word, and believing God for instruction, direction, miracles, signs, wonders, and breakthroughs. And so I want you to join us. I've written a book that just was completed. Listen. I've never written a book this quickly before. The Holy Ghost came on me to do it. I was laughing. I was telling the team. I couldn't believe this. Uh, this 21-day fast field guide that uh, is now available, for, I, I looked back because I hadn't been looking at it, but from the first day I began writing until the day that it was finished, 20 days. I've never written a book this quickly. 20 days this book was written in. Um, Literally from the time that I started writing to the time that it was alive on Amazon, 23 days. And so uh, if, I'm encouraging you to get a copy. Uh, if you want one before the year starts, most likely the best place to buy it is going to be Amazon.com in your region. Um, my first copy is coming today. We've got copies coming. If you'd like to buy the bundle of a complete guide to biblical fasting, which is about two, I think it's about 240 or so pages all the content you need on fasting and prayer. Every question answered, physical, spiritual, every question. Um, and teaching you may have never heard of regarding fasting. Get that book. And then this is a 21-day devotional that we just released to walk you through 21 days of fasting and prayer. It contains our Bible reading plan. It contains teaching from the Word of God. It contains prayer points. It contains how to begin a fast, how to end a fast. It's It's really the devotional you need is we're getting ready to go in. And so I want to encourage you to grab it. It's live on Amazon. If you'd like to order the bundle, you can save some money by doing that in our store, shop.miracleword.com. And I'm so pumped up. I'm so ready. Again, we're in the midst of our Christmas giveaway week. Today, what we're encouraging you to do is take a picture of your Christmas tree, send it to Jenna at miracleword.com. Has to be in by 9 p.m. New York City time. And our favorite tree is going to win $100 on Amazon. The winner will be announced tomorrow on the broadcast. And uh, we want to see those trees. All week, uh, we're going to be doing giveaways for Christmas. Today's day one. We love you guys. We're so, so thankful for you. I think Carolyn's going to be on with me for a couple of days this week as well. And uh, it's just going to be a great week. I know you're going to have a great Christmas too. The kids are excited. They cannot wait to see the presents under the tree. Maddie's got a countdown on her phone. Teddy's got an advent calendar that Brooklyn has broken into and eaten the chocolate out of. And so there's been a great war in the household. Pray for my children. They've taken up arms. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Thank you for spending time with me today. 
I'll see you again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Be blessed. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.